This is Tani Talks Radio, the Shia where we talk about a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. We are now here doing this in Season 2. All previous episodes can be found on Tani Talks Radio, on iTunes, on Google, on Spotify, and the like. But for the live episodes, tune in same time, same place, in Mirza Shemblinader each week where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. We want to think about in life how we could help people, what we could do to do for other people, what we could do to enlighten the world, to make the world in a better place. As we are here in summer 2023, around the time of Tisha B'Av, we know that the base of Migdash was destroyed because of Sinat Chinam, because of Sinat Chinam, because of people hating one another baselessly for no reason. The antidote, the solution is Ahavas Chinam, how to be involved helping people how to be involved in doing what you can for other people and it goes against lush and horror we need to have lush and tov we need to have moti shame tov looking for the good in others talking about the good in others bringing out the good in others would be the solution would be really what we need to do in this life and when we look at those around us when we look at people around us in life and and people around us in our day-to-day life how can we go and how could we uplift their life and how can we make sure that we're not just a bystander but we're actually trying to help them we're trying to do what we can to help them I like to try to go around at work and be the most friendly, the most nice, interactive person I can. Granted, some days I feel crummy, some days I feel grouchy, some days I feel tired, especially if I don't sleep enough or whatnot. But by and large, at work, I work for the DOE, and I always I always try to work summer. It's an extra six weeks. It's an extra wonderful thing besides working during the year. And, you know, there's a lot of people... And 99% are not Jewish or not religious. So we have the unbelievable ability to make a Kiddush Hashem, to go above and beyond, to do for the students, to do for others, to give to others. Even if it's not my student, even if it's not my class, try to say hello, good morning to each person. Try to remember, oh, this one took a day off. This one went somewhere. How's your trip? How was this? How are your family doing? How are your kids doing? How is your X, Y, and Z doing? And how is everything else? If we can interact with people, we can make sure that we're not bystanders in our own life. We can make sure to be a real lifesaver. Sometimes people think that nobody cares about them. Nobody talks to them. Nobody checks in on them. And nobody really even values them as a person, especially in the DOE where I work. Unfortunately, the hierarchy is that the salaries are very, very low for the paras, for the assistant teachers, rather, better name for them. Teachers get a much higher salary even than me as an OT, but I dafka want it to be that every person feels validated, every person feels like they have importance. How are you doing? Shaniqua, Shanene, how you doing? Latoya, names that I all made up. How is everything going? How is your weekend? How is your day? You know, how is it? How is X, Y, Z? How is this kid doing today? And don't just look at the kid and say, good morning, Charlie. I made that name up. But say, good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Shaniqua. How are you doing? How are you all doing? A lot of times that happened to me. I remember working in Hask. I worked there for three summers. And unfortunately, I felt like sometimes Daryl Harris was lacking. You know, people like to put on a show. And some people do things for the wrong reasons. A real chesed person will do the chesed for the chesed. Not for the give back. Not for the acclamation. Not for the honor. But some people want to put on a show. And they look just at little Charlie. The, the adorable five-year-old, eight-year-old. But what about the counselor that's pushing him around all day in the wheelchair? What about the counselor that's involved in him? You say good morning to Charlie and you spend 20 minutes playing with Charlie but you don't even see a kind word to the counselor who's dripping sweat from pushing the very heavy wheelchair the whole morning that really bothered me so I always tried Blinader. Back then I wasn't nearly as good as it as I am today. And I'm not nearly as good at it as many other people in life, as the sages and the great people. But on any level, we could do what we can not to be bystanders and not to let f- other people feel like they are bystanders. You know, if you're someone is involved, don't just look at the student, but look at the helper, the person. Talk to the person walking with them. Don't just talk to someone in the carriage. Let's say you see a very adorable baby and you talk to the baby. Talk to the parents too. Everyone deserves time and respect and acclamation. Everyone deserves to be talked to and not talked down upon. Because one of the cruxes of this sheer, one of the cruxes of this topic we're going to talk about is the bystander effect. Have you ever heard 
of the bystander effect? Do you know what it is? It is actually a fascinating principle. I was a psychology major at Yeshiva University. Social psychology was one of the most interesting parts of the psych major, and this was a principle I found quite captivating when studying in undergrad. Obviously, we touched on psychological aspects as well in grad school when I was going for my master's in occupational therapy, but the crux of this, the major aspect where we studied the most famous case, well, we'll talk about in a minute, was in psychology undergrad. The principle basically talks about how if many people are around at the time of an event, especially a tragic or a terrible event, especially one that may need someone to intervene, People are less likely to intervene, assuming someone else will take care of it because there are other people around, especially if there are a lot of other people around. And I believe this happens daily in our, in our life on a much different level, a havdil on a much smaller level. Unfortunately, people will only talk to the head honchos, but they forget the common worker, the common laborer becomes the bystander. Someone else will say good morning to them. Someone else will talk to them. Someone else will interact with them. When we lose the basic principle, the basic element of derech eretz, we lose the foundation of the world. Derech eretz kadmala Torah. Derech eretz comes before Torah. Before Torah, it took 26 generations or so until the Torah was given because Hashem was trying to teach us that Derech Eretz comes for, first. Chesed comes first. Avram Avinu was way before Moshe and was way before the actual giving of the Torah because Derech Eretz comes first. If you don't have Derech Eretz, you're not a mensch then don't go expounding to me on how much a Talmud Chacham you are. You don't have basic decency for people, basic interaction skills, and basic Hakar Satov, and basic being able to interact with people. Don't talk to me about any Torah. You need to have the basic decency. You need to have the basic ability to talk to people, to relate to people. And in different situations, you need to be the person that could be that lifesaver. You're a real lifesaver! You can be a lifesaver in your own life. And what time more apropos to think about it as the time when we reflect on the destruction of the Mikdash when there was a lack of Derecharetz when there's a lack of basic Ahavat Chinam of one person to another the foundation of the temple was destroyed based on a story which had a complete lack of Derecharetz and complete Sinav Chinam Bar Kamsa and Kamsa a famous story in Gittin 55 to 57 I highly recommend you read it Rabbi Foreman on Aleph Beta has a beautiful beautiful video series that totally breaks it down and makes it very relevant great videos to watch on Tisha B'Av itself but I highly recommend you read that piece of Gemara it talks about how the guy comes to the party and was invited the wrong guy was invited because there was a comps and a bar comps so one guy was a best friend to the host and one guy was a mortal enemy and the wrong guy was invited he begged he pleaded please let me stay I'll pay for my portion I'll pay for many people's portions for half the, the party the whole party and basically it snowballs into a major effect where Rome eventually sees and thinks that the Jews are revolting leads to the whole destruction of the Besamekdash it all started with Sinachinam the rabbis were there and did nothing people were at the party and did nothing the bystander effect literally in its actual capacity no one did anything to stand up for the honor of Bar Kamsam I believe or whichever one was the wrong one invited nobody stood up to try to intervene to try to give a little dignity back to him. I'm not condoning his behavior. I think the behavior was very, very out of proportion, spiraled way out of control, but somebody could have stepped up to save the day. Ironically, the hero of the story, as Rabbi Foreman also points out, is Nero, because he comes to destroy Yerushalayim, and he says, let me think a second, what's going on here? Who's really angry in this situation? God? Let's see. I'm going to shoot arrows in different directions, and I'm going to ask a little boy, what Pasuk is he learning? And they talk about how Edom is going to be destroyed for destroying Yerushalayim. And he says, I'm not going to be the one that's going to implement this. Why should I get my hands dirty? He runs away and he converts. He stops it until later on, of course, the evil Romans go in anyway. Who's going to be the real lifesaver in different situations in life? Who's going to be the one that stands up and helps? Listen to this from Wikipedia. The bystander effect or bystander apathy is a social, psychological theory that states that individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim 
when there are other people present. First proposed in 1964, much research, mostly in the lab, has focused on increasingly varied factors, such as the number of bystanders, ambiguity, group cohesiveness, and diffusion of responsibility, different principles that are involved in such a case, that it reinforces mutual denial. If I think that someone else will take responsibility to the person that collapsed on the sidewalk, even though I had no CPR, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about Joe Schmo. Then that's a diffusion of responsibility. Someone else will take care of it. Someone else will do it. When, lo and behold, you could have saved James's life. You could have saved James's life. You have the know-with-all. You have the wherewithal. You have the ability to save his life. But you're going to say someone else do it. Group cohesiveness. We're all in the group together. Somebody will take care of it. Ambiguity. I don't know. I'm not feeling comfortable. I don't know. I'm, you know, mutual denial. I can't really help right now. I can't really do this right now. Somebody else will do it. Not always is it the case that somebody will do it. Because, listen to what happened. Research has shown that this is not what happens. The theory was prompted by the murder of Kitty Genovese, about which it was wrongly reported that 38 bystanders watched passively. We'll see the full case in a minute. Recent research has focused on real-world events captured on security cameras and the coher- coherency and robustness of the effect has come under question. The main study showed that there were 38 people that did nothing while she was being attacked but we will check it out in one minute. More recent studies also show that this effect can generalize to workplace settings, which we talked about already, where subordinates often refrain from informing managers regarding ideas, concerns, and opinions. The bystander effect was first demonstrated and popularized in the laboratory by social psychologists Darley and Latane. John Darley and Bibb Latane in 1968 after they became interested in the topic following the murder of Kitty Genovese in 1964. These researchers launched a series of experiments that resulted in one of the strongest and most replicable effects in social psychology. In a typical experiment, the participant is either alone or among a group of other participants of confederates. An emergency situation is staged, and researchers are involved. They stage the case, and they measure how long it takes the participants to intervene if they intervene. You know, the Zimbardo prison experiment, the shock experiments, these are all very famous experiments we learned about in undergrad, very crazy experiments, and thank God a lot of them weren't real, but it shows the crazy, shocking effect of group cohesiveness. These experiments have found that the presence of others inhibits helping, often by a large margin. For example, Latane and Rodin in 69 staged an experiment around a woman in distress where subjects were either alone, with a friend, or with a stranger. 70% of the people alone called out or went to help the woman after they believed she had fallen and was hurt. But when paired with a stranger, it goes down by 30%. When paired with a stranger, only 40% offered help. Phil Pott in 2019 examined over 200 sets of real-life surveillance video recordings from the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, and South Africa to answer the most pressing question for actual public victims, whether help would be forthcoming at all. They found that intervention was the norm, and in over 90% of conflicts, one or more bystanders intervened to provide help. Increased bystander presence can increase the likelihood that someone would intervene, even if the chance of each individual bystander responding is reduced, according to this recent study. But in general, here's what happened in the case. In the early hours, as Wikipedia explains, in the early hours of March 13, 1964, Kitty Genovese, a 28-year-old bartender, was stabbed outside the apartment building where she lived, we should never know from such things, in the Kew Gardens neighborhood of Queens in New York City. Apparently, it was by a a lot of apartments, and a lot of people heard her calling out, a lot of people heard her yelling, and apparently no one intervened, nobody called 911, nobody called or cared to help, supposedly. Two weeks after the murder, the New York Times published an article claiming that 38 witnesses saw or heard the attack, and that none of them called the police or came to her aid. The incident prompted inquiries into what became known as the bystander effect, or Genovese syndrome, and the murder became a staple of U.S. psychology textbooks, of course we learned about it, for the next four decades. However, researchers have since uncovered major inaccuracies in the New York Times article. 
Police interviews revealed that some witnesses had attempted to call the police. Reporters at a competing news organization discovered in 1964 that the article was inconsistent with the facts, but they were unwilling at the time to challenge New York Times editor Abe Rosenthal. In 2007, an article in the American Psychologist found no evidence for the presence of 38 witnesses or that witnesses observed the murder or that witnesses remained inactive. In 2016, the New York Times called its own reporting flawed, stating that the original story grossly exaggerated the number of witnesses and what they had perceived. A person was found and convicted of the crime within a week after the crime, as Winston Mosley points out. So yes, these reportings kind of debunk what I'm trying to talk about, but I believe that the principle itself does stand true. Somebody collapses in the middle of Times Square, God forbid, there are thousands upon thousands of people, how many people will help? A recent social experiment showed on TikTok or Pinterest or Instagram, one of those, how a person doused himself in flames in the middle of a very busy public square. And some people say it was staged. Some people say it was not staged. I don't know. But I saw the video. It shows the guy dousing himself and he puts a lighter to his chest. It puts a lighter to himself. He's about to click the lighter. A Jewish religious individual, a boy of maybe 20, a young man, runs, knocks the lighter out of his hand and basically tackles the guy and saves his life. Some people say it's staged. Some people say it's not. Beautiful Kiddush Hashem regardless. But there were hundreds of people watching this guy and they were all fascinated to see what he will do. There are older people and younger people, middle-aged people. Nobody does anything to help him. The only person... The one that has the Yiddish spark, that has the Jewish neshama, that has the call for Tikkun Olam, the ability to stand up and be a real lifesaver, was the one that ran and knocked the lighter out of his hands and basically tackled him. The principle in effect stands. In many instances, the more people are around, the less likely it is for one person to actually step up and intervene. Again, the more people... By and large, a generalization, the more people that are around, the less likely it is for one person to actually step up and intervene. I'm going to prove, hopefully, that you can be that one person in these different situations to be a real lifesaver. You are a real lifesaver. You're a real lifesaver. You can learn CPR. You could learn how to help people in different situations, people who are EMTs, paramedics, and Atsala members. Major shout-out, major kudos, major standing round of applause for those wonderful, wonderful heroes that run on Yom Tov on Shabbos during the week, dropping their job, dropping, being at the table with the family to go help these people. In general... The more people are around, the less likely it is for people to intervene, but we need to become those people who will be the ones to step up to be a real lifesaver. If we can make the world better, if we can truly internalize how much quicker can the base of come and we wouldn't have to have a fast of Tisha B'Av. We wouldn't have to have the three weeks and we would be able to usher in a much more beautiful era. Wikipedia also talks about how John Quinone in his primetime show, Primetime, what would you do on ABC tests the bystander effect? Actors are used to act out typically non-emergency situations while the cameras capture the reactions and actions of innocent bystanders. Topics include cheating on a millionaire test, an elderly person shoplifting, racism, a check on the floor, a family that goes out to a restaurant with a child with autism having a major, major meltdown, and much, much more. What would you do? A kid who's lost in a park, and, you know, God forbid, people with criminal intent could, like, walk over to him, God forbid, or her. Many of the people in these situations do nothing. Very few stand up. This, in effect, is the bystander effect. There's all of these people around. Somebody, I'm sure, will do something to save little Johnny, God forbid. Somebody, I'm sure, will help Lorraine, the sweet 85-year-old lady who just is waiting for someone to push her wheelchair around because she doesn't have the strength to do it herself. Somebody's going to have to help. You can hear the crickets chirping in the background because no one is doing anything. 
Many of the people in these situations do nothing. Very few stand up. This is not the Jewish way. This is not the Jewish way. Judaism, as dictated by Hashem, makes every single one of us culpable to stand up, to take a position, to help out those around us. Judaism makes us responsible to challenge and break the bystander effect, especially in cases of danger. Call Yisrael Arevim Zelazeh. In Ein Anashim Hishtada Lihios Ish. The Gemara tells us we're all culpable and responsible for one another. The Talmud tells us, Pirkei Avos tells us, if there is no person, you must stand up to be that person. You must stand up and help out those around us. Judaism makes us responsible to challenge and break the bystander effect. You can be a real lifesaver, especially in cases of danger. The Talmud tells us that whoever saves one life, it is as if he saves the entire world. This is a key saying that we should come back to. Whoever saves one life, it is as if he saves the entire world. I like to take that phrase a step forward in general in my own life and in the life of those around us. Whoever changes one life, it is as if he changes the entire world. Whoever saves one life, it is as if he saves the entire world, and by definition, in my opinion, whoever changes one life, it is as if he changes the entire world. One person can literally save the world. One person can literally change one person's life, and then by definition, change the entire world because a, a person is a world. The Talmud, the commentators tell us, Bishvili Nivra Olam is a saying that we should keep in one of our pockets, and in the other pocket we should keep Ani Afer Ve'efer, I'm the dust and ash. Understand, Hashem made the whole world for you. Each person is their own world. So if you save a person, you save a world. To make a difference in the world, you focus on one person at a time, you could really change the whole world. One soul who was brought back to the Jewish people. One person reconnected and reignited is one soul saved, is really the whole world saved. If we could take a small part in this, we could literally light up and save the whole world. We often get intimidated by thinking about famous people or famous characters who change the whole world, but it doesn't have to be that way. We can just focus on one person at a time, trying to change the world for the better every individual, one person, one individual at a time within the world. When I think of people saving the world one person at a time, I literally think of Hatzalah around the world. United Hatzalah in Israel and abroad, along with Magin David Adom in Israel as well. These heroes go above and beyond to try to help and save every single life or help any single individual, no matter who it is in Israel, who is in need of assistance. I've heard of crazy cases in Israel where they literally will save an enemy's life because the value of life is so strong. This person literally before and could have pointed a missile grenade launcher at the Jewish person and that Jewish doctor literally goes around and saves their life. Unfathomable. Crazy. I think of the firefighters and the cops who run toward fire and danger to help out. Think of the officers who run toward shooting, toward danger when everyone else runs away. Isn't that a fascinating thing? That their instinct teaches them to go against their base instincts. There's a house on fire. There is an active shooter. God forbid we should never know from any of those things. Their instincts, their base instincts in general in life would be fight or flight. The sympathetic nervous system running away, saving your own skin would be the normal natural reaction to do. They have to train themselves through school, through academy to go against that instinct to run in when everyone else is running out. How many stories are there about 9-11? September 11, 2001, which unfortunately is not you know, as much on people's minds in the beginning. It was very, very strong. And yes, there are memorials every year, but people don't realize thousands of people died and so many people helped out. How many firefighters and cops ran into the burning buildings, into the buildings helping as many people get out as the buildings were literally crumbling and crushing and falling. Amazing. Everyone else was running away while they were running inside. 
on some level, even much more minute, this is what we as the Jewish people must do day in and day out, helping out everyone, anyone who is physically or metaphorically, spiritually or cognitively screaming or not, for help in whatever manner they need help. Don't be a bystander. Don't have the bystander effect. Do what you can to get up and be a real lifesaver. The Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us, again, anyone who sustains one soul from the Jewish people, the verse ascribes him credit as if he sustained an entire world. H.com points out from the handbook by Rabbi Arya Kaplan, with the exception of three cardinal sins, most one must violate any religious law to save a life. As the Torah states, keep my decrees and laws since a person can truly live only by keeping them. From Vayikra, Perak Yudchet, V'chai Bahem, Bahem, live by keeping them and not die by keeping them. Although keeping the Shabbos is considered a foundation of our way of life, it may be violated in any manner necessary to save a life. It can be meritorious to violate the Shabbos, and one who is hesitating is guilty of bloodshed. We must do what we can to help our people, even on Yom Kippur, even on Shabbos, even on Yom Tov, do what you can to save a person's life. Rabbi Kaplan also points out on H.com, in any case, one who neglects to save a life when the opportunity presents itself is guilty of violating the commandment, do not stand still while your neighbor's life is in danger. From Ayikra, like the person who's too from to help a woman who's drowning in the river because I don't want to touch the woman, you're going to rather let her die and have that on your head, God forbid? Do not stand still when your neighbor's life is in danger. Vayikra teaches us in Parakutet. Al ta'amod b'damreyecha. One is obligated to spend any amount of money necessary to save a Jewish life, but the mikdam must repay him if and when he is able. If several persons are in danger, when all cannot be saved, a religious scholar is given priority. And he goes on and depicts different things. We must do what we can to, to rescue any non-Jew who worships God, like a Christian or a Muslim. Help him survive, whether he is a proselyte or resident alien. Vayukra teaches to us in Parakhaf Hey. Do what we can. Of course, saving one's own life does come first. One need not give his life to save another. As our Torah states, let our brother live alongside you from Vayikra. Which implies one's own life comes first. So, the famous cape, or famous example from the Gemara, if two people are in the desert and one has the water and only enough water for himself, he doesn't have to share it for the other because his life comes first. But we must do what we can. A person who saves a single life is counted as if he has saved the entire world. Do what you can to save another soul. Use your money, your resources, your talents, the labor of your hands to help effect change and to help save a life. H.com points out with author Dr. Miller, It was an ordinary Sunday on March 30th for Tully, Abraham, and his wife Sarah. They were running two hours late for an event on Sunday, March 30th in 2019. As Tully, a 30-year-old kosher caterer, sped along the Verrazano Narrow Bridge, which I know very well because I'm from Staten Island originally, the Verrazano Narrow Bridge, they were going on the way to Brooklyn from Staten Island or the like for an event. A series of coincidences, Hashkacha, put him in the right place to save a man's life. Tully explains in an Ishtakam interview, there are so many things that happen in the space of a few moments. Without any of these components, I wouldn't have been successful. It was raining hard and traffic was bad. The left lane that Tully was taking to the upper level of the bridge was closed and he was forced to move over several lanes to the right. That left Tully and Sarah in the lane closest to the edge of the bridge, behind a car that suddenly stopped. The driver put on his hazards and exited his car. If I was in the left lane, I wouldn't have thought anything of it, Tully recalls saying that at first it seemed the driver was checking something wrong with his car. Instead of going back into his car, the driver, an elderly man of about 79, according to later news reports, walked over to the railing at the edge of the bridge. As Tully watched, the man stepped over the railing, balanced on the far side of the bridge, at the very edge of the bridge, and prepared to jump to end his life into the icy waters far below. 
Without stopping to think, Tully raced out of his own car to the edge, grabbed the man's jacket. The man shouted at Tully that he should let him go. But Tully hung on with all his might. As he concentrated on holding on to the man and prevented him from ending his life, Tully wondered about his own safety. It was raining and it was slippery, he explains. And he hoped he wouldn't slip and fall off the bridge with the man. As precious moments ticked by and Tully struggled with the man, countless people drove by in their cars. Countless people drove by in their cars, ignoring the scene and choosing not to help. A classic example of the bystander effect. Finally, finally, eventually, many minutes later, a state trooper drove by and saw the scene. He too raced out of his car and grabbed the man's clothes. Together with Tully, he and Tully tried to get a secure grip on the man and bring him back inside the railing. The railing is about chest high, so it's almost impossible to pull anybody up. After a few minutes, another bystander finally came to help, as well as emergency personnel. Together, the group of all the rescuers managed to drag the man back inside the railing. An ambulance took him to the hospital. First of all, amazing Yashikov to all those wonderful people who saved this life. Second of all, you can imagine the panic on his wife's mind while she's waiting in the car. You can imagine what's going through her head. Third of all, how hard was it for Tully all those minutes to save himself, trying to save that person until finally these people came? But how many cars drove by if he waited three minutes, two minutes, even a minute? In a minute, 25 cars can easily drive by both directions. Three minutes, you can have 100 cars drive by. I'm not doing the math. Five minutes, you can have 200, 300. How many cars drove by and did nothing? It took minutes upon minutes until the, the state trooper came by and again they're trained to run to danger to help people it's against the nature of a person they have to train themselves to do this and then another bystander and then rescue personnel finally came but how long did it take and totally was the only person to get out and help how many people were stuck in traffic around julian we'll call him who was the 79 year old older person nobody else helped for Tully, the encounter profoundly changed the way he looked at the world. For days afterwards, he explains he was still shaking. People called him a hero, but he doesn't think of himself that way. I did what anybody would have done. Tully explains, although, as was depicted, many people drove by and actually did absolutely nothing. The classic bystander effect in full force. He didn't ask for the publicity and a clothes he's received. I want to move on. I want to continue being me without attention. I learned it doesn't matter where you are and what your background is. Everybody should try and make a difference, Tully says. He also cautions that no matter how people react, they should recognize that they did the best they felt they could. People second-guess their actions and beat themselves up afterwards, Tully notes. Instead, we should be kinder to ourselves and acknowledge that in a moment of emergency, it's not always easy to know what to do. At the end of the day, you, did, you do your best. Pointing to the series of coincidences that put him with Hashgacha in the right place at the right time, he feels he was placed on that situation, on that bridge for a reason. Judaism teaches us there is no such thing as coincidence. Everything that happens is part of a larger plan and has a purpose. That is what we know as Hashgacha Pratis, divine providence, recognizing that a series of seemingly random twists of fate can lead us to the very purpose we are meant to fulfill in our lives. When he considers all the different components of that day on the bridge, the fact that he was forced in the right lane, he was running late, he wound up behind the suicidal driver, that he was helped by passerby just as he needed it, finally at those minutes, he somehow found the strength to hold on to the man without slipping or losing his grip, totally feels he was part of a larger plan that day. He strongly feels he witnessed the hand of God, Yad Hashem, putting him in the exact position necessary to do what he could to f help a fellow human being and save his life. You too, on a much, much less intense level, maybe, but in a certain place, at a certain time, by Hashem to help out those around you in a myriad of small and large ways. There is a video featuring the former chief rabbi of England, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs at Salm. He told the story of his near drowning in Italy on his honeymoon, of his rescue by an anonymous bystander, and of the resulting greater gratitude he has ha he had 
every day that he had gotten to live from that day forward. When he woke up to a new day, he appreciated this gift of life. What an important and beautiful lesson. Nothing like a personal near-death situation to really help it hit home. The Talmud teaches that if you save one life in any way, I'm not talking that you have to be a Tully and save someone from killing himself, but you could kill, save someone from spiritually killing himself. You could save someone from idolizing the wrong things. You could save someone from a life of drugs, a life of alcohol, a life of addiction to gambling or stealing, whatever. Everyone has their own addictions and afflictions in life. You can't judge, but you can help. Don't judge, just help. You can save an entire world. Little do you know how much you can do in life. You can do what you can in this world. You can do what you can to save other people. What can you do to make a royal difference in this world? Adam Ross points out on H.com from 2019, Mendel Gordon, an American lone soldier, Chayal Bodeid, in the Israel Defense Forces at Sayal Hahaganah Israel, the IDF, Tzahal, I don't have a real Israeli accent, I pretend to be Israeli, completed his service as a paratrooper and met the girl of his dreams only to learn just weeks after they were engaged that he had the Machala, the big C, the terrible, terrible disease we should never know from such things. Doctors in Israel advise he should seek emergency surgery in the USA to the tune of $90,000. Back then it was a lot of money in 2019. We're in 2023 now. Nowadays it's even more. A sum way beyond his family's means. What happened next was remarkable. In an exclusive interview with Aish, Mendel Gordon describes the incredible story of friendship that saw the soldiers in his army unit stand by their brother in arms and raise every dollar necessary to pay for the complicated surgery that saved his life. Originally from Brooklyn at 19 years old, Mendel Gordon signed up to serve in the IDF in 2015 after falling in love with the land of Israel during a year of yeshiva study. After convincing his parents of his plan to join a combat unit and passing a tough physical trial, he enlisted in the paratroopers brigade where he saw two and a half years of active duty in Hebron, Hebron and along the Gaza border, preventing attacks into Israeli territory. Despite the cultural and lingual differences that he faced being a lone soldier, Chayal Bodeh, from another country, Mendel says the friendships he made in the army ran deep. It's through what you go through together, day in and day out, that friendships develop there. You have to literally watch each other's backs day in and day out. Constantly protecting each other and looking out for each other creates a powerful feeling of mutual responsibility. In October 2017, feeling energized and excited about life, having just been discharged from the army, he began dating Ruhamo Tokeyer, the 19-year-old sister of a friend from his yeshiva days quickly realized he found the girl he wanted to marry. He proposed, she accepted, Mazel of life was dreamy, until his life took an unforeseen change of course. While spending Shabbos at his fiancé's home, Mendel noticed three small bumps on his neck. I didn't feel unwell at all, he said, but he got things checked out. Following a biopsy and multiple blood tests just before Pesach, in April 2018, Mendel learned the devastating news that an aggressive form of Hodgkin's lymphoma had spread throughout his body. We should never know from such things. The couple took the advice of their family and rabbis and postponed their wedding plans when doctors backtracked on initial optimism they could treat his condition after struggling to locate the origin of his disease. As a heavy question mark loomed over their future, Mendel was referred to Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York, where more similar cases had been treated. After the diagnosis was confirmed, he updated his family and made calls to his army friends to let them know what was going on. After the word got out, Mendel's phone received a flurry of supportive messages, many from the soldiers in his unit. We're with you, said one. We got you back, read another. Without any hesitation, Ruhama Mendel's fiance insisted she would accompany him to New York for his treatment, although at that time there was no idea how long it would take or whether it would be successful. Once in the U.S., the Gordon family learned Mendel's treatment would cost around $90,000. Together with family and friends, they got to work to raise the money. My parents didn't have the money. I had no way to fund what was needed, he explained. There were so many medical bills to pay. 
Initially, they held a bracha, a blessing party, which doubled as an engagement party in which some 300 friends and family arrived with donations and good wishes, with most of Mendel's friends and family meeting Ruhama for the first time. We raised a good amount, but it was nowhere near what was necessary and time was not on my side. It was through a Facebook post about this event that Mendel's army friends first learned he needed to raise a large sum of money. Recalling his army service, Mendel says his company commander, Roey Friedberg, was someone he'd go to for advice, but not someone he felt he had an especially close relationship with. I always liked him, don't get me wrong, but I didn't have more of a connection with him than any of the other soldiers. What happened next showed him that the bonds of friendship went far deeper than he could have thought. Roey Friedberg immediately mobilized the 150 soldiers under his command, detailing Gordon's situation and explaining that although he was now on the other side of the world, Mendel needed their help, and they would do whatever it took to help him. Issuing an, un- issuing an unusual order, the soldiers were commanded to take out their phones and share a high-impact post to social media with a link to a fundraising site that Freiburg had created. They literally went to war socially for me, Mendel said. But Freiburg wasn't done. Since the unit needed extra firepower, he decided that they would all reach out to Omar Adam, one of, the, one of Israel's most popular singers, and implore him to add his weight to their campaign. We will all send him a message at 1 p.m. today, he told the paratroopers, and we'll resend him with this message every day at this time until he shares our post to his tens of thousands of fans. Omar Adam got the message, quite literally, and shared the post and the unit turned their attention to other Israeli singers and performers, along with other initiatives, concluding with a sponsored 5KM run with a beer party at the finishing line. As the campaign grew in momentum, eventually involving over 5,000 people, Mendel and his family looked on in wonder from New York. The full amount was raised. The full amount was raised. The spirit of friendship spearheaded by his company commander left his family speechless. I think then my parents started to understand more what I was doing in Israel in the first place and why I was drawn to want to be there all of that time. I was shocked, beyond shocked at how much everyone helped, said Mendel's mother, Mindy Gordon. It was beyond amazing. At Sloan Kettering, Mendel reacted well to treatment and underwent the complex surgery which removed the disease from throughout his body. Doctors closely monitored him after the surgery and eventually gave him the all-clear, Baruch Hashem. Mendel attributes his recovery to the Almighty, to Hashem, and to the collective efforts from friends, family, and especially from his unit. Hundreds of people had joined a Tehillim group, a Psalms group, for his recovery. As I realized how many people really cared, really cared, what the soldiers in my army unit were doing for me, and how many people were thinking about me, it made me feel like there was an extra force out there giving an extra push fighting with me. All the while, Ruhama was there by his side in the weeks following surgery, visiting and caring for him every day. The company finally went back to Israel on November 25th to get plans back on track for their wedding. At the airport, they were met by over 30 soldiers and commanders from his unit. It's just an amazing feeling of being a part of something so strong, Mendel said. The couple had to rethink their wedding plans, this time for positive reasons with hundreds of people who had supporting him, wanting to take part in the beautiful celebrations. Not wanting to exclude anyone, they left an open invitation to join for the dancing with around 500 guests, indicating they would come. Finding a wedding hall that would suit them and that they could afford also involved an incredible turn of events, which began the night after Mendel's surgery when he received a text from a soldier in his army unit whose father owned a large hall in Jerusalem and wanted to offer it to the couple for free. Later, when they understood how many people really wanted to attend, Ruhama made inquiries from New York and found a perfect place in Israel. When she explained why she and her fiancé couldn't come and see the place in person yet, the owner replied that his son was serving in her fiancé's unit, and he had already offered them the venue for free. Mendel and Ruhama were speechless. We couldn't believe it, Mendel said. The feeling of being looked after throughout all of this was immense. We never know what is happening in our lives, he added, but I felt that I have had God's protection, Hashem's protection throughout. At his wedding, he had an opportunity to say some words to his friends who had done so much for him. These are things that are very hard to express in words. I told them that they were my friends for life and how much they had helped me. This was the wedding I didn't know 
that would ever happen. Today, the newlyweds are living in Israel with the drama of the past behind them, working to make the world a better place. He works at a startup back in 2019, committing to realizing his dreams and making the world a better place. Mika Amcha Yisrael. Who is like the Jewish people? Who is like the Jewish people? There is no one like the Jewish people. We are involved in Tikkun Olam. We can do what we can to change the world, to save the world. Day in and day out, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Yes, it might be difficult. Yes, it might be hard. Yes, it might take a lot of effort. Yes, saving lives costs a lot. Changing lives costs a lot. But we can do this. The state of Israel has always been in this. And we in our lives can do that. Money comes and goes. But human life, any human life, has no substitute. We can do what we can in our life. You could think of a fascinating person who was climbing Mount Everest and saved a life of someone, a Turkish climber, Aydin Irmak, who was lying in the snow. Nadav had to make a decision. Could he climb and continue, or could he leave the body, or should he stay with the body and stop his trek? When this guy, Nadav, saw Aydin stranded on the mountain, he knew he had to do it. Other people just passed him by and didn't lift a finger, but he knew he had to take effect. The bystander effect always in effect unfortunately but the Jewish people have to stand up and have to do what we can to make the world a better place we have to do what we can we need to be involved with what we can think of the fascinating story of the falafel stand in 2019 from h.com with Dr. Miller where Tal Kulferstein a married father of five opened a falafel shop in August he was a very active member in United Hotel, the beautiful organization founded by Ellie Beer, which tries to save people's lives in three minutes or less, really 90 seconds or less, especially with their beautiful ambicycles all over the country. Tal received a call about a nearby accident set off to help in November 2019. When he was responding, he himself got hit by a car, was gravely injured. He had to go under surgery and face a long recovery. Once it was clear he was out of danger, his volunteers wanted to help. He only recently opened a falafel stand, and that was store was his only means of support for his family. The services already saved his life. Now they wanted to save his business. So what did the Hatzalah do? The volunteers signed up to work behind the counter at Falafel Harel, keeping it open and helping the Cooperstein family within days. Volunteers signed up for two months' work of shifts. One volunteer who owns a flavel shop in the Israeli city of Chalon even closed his own store of a day for the day to go help Tal. Beautiful. And they talk about the idea how even Eli Beer, the founder, took a shift. As word took place that Hatzola was doing this, Israeli flocked to the place for a meal. And in the end, within hours of hearing about this, there were meals donated to soldiers and, and distributed to soldiers, and they were able to help save Tal's shop, which is a beautiful, wonderful thing. I think of the story also of the person in Brooklyn whose shop went up in flames, the fish shop, and his competitor literally opened his doors to let his competition sell from his own stores, from his own store. The question is, is everyone's life considered valuable by society? You know, there was a person, Dr. Arnold Randman, who was a huge person at Harvard, who was 93 years old, and they spent over $478,000 to save his life. If another person, a 90-year-old retired plumber, arrived at the same ER, would they spend four hundred grand to save his life? Society doesn't realize the value of every life, but of course the Jewish people does. Every person has the ability to save a person's life. Every person has the ability to do what it can to make a person's life better. We need to do what we can. The sources all talk to us from different aspects of the Gemara, of the sources. You have to do what you can. Your brother should live with you. Baba Metzia 62. Do what you can to save the world, to save those around you. You have to do what you can to save a life. Chip in. You can be a real lifesaver. Who is a real foolish man of piety? It's someone who sees a woman is drowning in a river. Sota 21b. And he says it is not proper conduct to save her. If someone needs help, don't use excuses. Don't use quote unquote what you think is halacha to try to get out of helping her. Don't be selfish. Don't be foolish. The Gemara says, who is foolish? This person that won't save the woman drowning because she's a woman. Don't be foolish. Sanhedrin. You shall not stand by idly by the blood of another. 
Al Tamod Al Damriacha, San Hedrin 73a. Do not be a person of the bystander effect. Jewish law requires a bystander must stand, intervene to save the life of an intended victim. Comes from the contemporary halacha problems, contemporary halachi problems. Do what you can to save another person's life. It is permissible to desecrate the Shabbos in order to have many Shabbos to come, Rabbi Nassim talks about. If there's a danger to life, do what you can to save the life. To save one life is tantamount to saving a whole world, Sanhedrin 37a. Do what you can to save a person's life. The potential to save a life overrides the Shabbos, Mishnah Yuma 8.7. We want to make sure to do what we can. Even saving a non-Jewish life is included in the category of pikuach nefesh, to do what you can in your life. If we think about the fact that we are in the element of the time in summer 2023, Bein about to come to Tishrabov, we know that the Beis was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. We know that the world was destroyed. We lost Yerushalayim and we all went into Gaulus because of Sinas Chinam. The solution is not being a bystander. The solution is helping save lives, change lives, do what we can to uplift people. The solution is to have Lashem Tov, Avas Chinam, to have Moti Shem Tov, finding the good, doing the good for people. You don't have to be Hatzalah member. You don't have to be a part of Magen David Adum. You don't have to be an EMT. But you could be a spiritual EMT, giving Shiurim, uplifting people, giving a kind word, having Derech Eretz, interacting with people around you, using kind manners, showing a shining light to the Jewish world around us. We can be real lifesavers. You can be a real lifesaver. It all starts with you. You want the base of Mikdash? You want Mashiach to come? Start having a little Derech Eretz. Start being involved in putting Derech Eretz before Torah, Kadma La Torah, interacting with people, saying thank you to every person that helps on the phone, asking people their names and asking if they had a good day, thanking them for their help, thanking them for assistance. Any person that helps you, any person that's involved in your life, have them. Bring out the Lashon Tov, bring out the Motsi Shem Tov, bring out the good actions, the good chesed, the good Torah, the good mitzvahs in life. You need to do what you can to save other people, to help other people. You have a talent. Use it for good, use it for others, use it to inspire others to act, to uplift others. Hashem gave me a talent to speak, I believe, so I made these five podcasts over the years. One of them is a minute, another one is another minute. One of them is five minutes, one of them is ten minutes, and one of them is this show. Forty-five minutes or so where we try to speak what we can to try to uplift others, do what we can to change people's lives, to to uplift people's lives. Even if only one person lifts and listens, it can change the life. Hashem gave me the idea to make this Jewish version of Where's Waldo find five of Baruch Hashem we were able to be published a couple of weeks. I want to help kids see things, see a nice Jewish family, a fun project in different pictures. It's a simple thing, an easy little thing with the help of the illustrator, but that's a simple thing Hashem puts in my life. What can we do to uplift those around us, to save those around us, to change the life of those around us? You can be a real lifesaver. You should be a real lifesaver. It all starts with you. If we are Zoha meritorious to do what we can each day to bring a little life saving to the world around us, one person's life changes, one person's life saved is the world saved. One person's life changed is the world changed, is the whole epic universe changed. We can do what we can to bring Mashiach speedily in our days and we should be Zoha. To do a little life-saving, a little spiritual saving each day, utilizing your talents, your abilities to bring what you love to the world in a Torah way, in a Jewish way, in a wonderful way with the Torah, Chesed, and Mitzvahs to make the world better. And maybe we could finally be Zoha to not have to have a Tisha B'Av, to not have to have Golas, to finally be Zoha to have the B'Yas Mashiach and the building of the base of Benger speedily in our days. And may that day, in fact be today. This has been Tani Talks Radio where we talk about a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. Join us next time, same time here on Tani Talks Radio and I'm your host Tani.